Welcome back to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. First story today is going to be about impeachment. Of course, the impeachment trial is well on its way with new polls showing 56% of Americans support conviction versus only 43% who are against it. This being the first time that any poll has shown that the public and including Democrats, independents and Republicans has been in favor, majority in favor of conviction. This again, marking the first time with previous polls being at 43, 44 and 45 percent in favor of conviction with overwhelmingly 49, 50 and 51 percent against. This does, of course, have implications and it does put a lot of pressure on the Republicans to prove that this is either false or to go ahead and in many ways just refute these facts and move on with the impeachment as if it's untrue, of course, then using their Republican large minority to fight the impeachment case and, of course, probably uh, refuse conviction. This is off the back, of course, with Senator Ron Johnson, Republican from Wisconsin, claiming that he is suspicious of Nancy Pelosi and her role in the January 6th insurrection attempt and actually claims that the impeachment trial is just a smoke and mirror show to distract the American public from these actions during the 6th, which then calls into question, one, well, how is she distracting and how is she the main part of this? Number two, what on earth did Nancy Pelosi do during the 6th uh, of January during the insurrection attempt? It definitely seems like a questionable claim at best, and it seems to resonate in the same way that claiming AOC was never in danger or most of the, the representatives weren't in danger during the insurrection attempt as Republicans have been pushing for the past week or so, it does seem that they're going to play at this angle more and more as eventually attempting to shift the blame of the January 6th insurrection attempt to Democrats, which, of course, is the classic partisanship game where you just place the blame on the other party over and over again until your audience seems to believe it as fact. Uh, another small story coming out of the same impeachment story is Wyoming GOP censoring Liz Cheney after her vote for impeachment, this pro-impeachment vote, of course, flying directly in the faces of almost all voters of Wisconsin, which is a deeply red state. This again being, of course, Liz Cheney, who is a prominent Republican as a centrist Republican ally of Mitt Romney and Marco Rubio, though, of course, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz have seemingly aligned themselves with Trump and the Trumpian wing of the party more and more as these events unfold. Liz Cheney, of course, now being asked privately by Kevin McCarthy, who is the House Minority Leader, privately asking her to apologize for her vote and also the GOP post-censorship actually asking her to step down, which, of course, she did refuse, which is definitely an interesting gambit for them to play, politically speaking, as it does look like she is going to pursue long-term political goals, though she's almost sunk her own ship. If she can survive this next re-election, then perhaps she has a chance in being that bastion of the left or centrist wing of the Republican Party. However, more than likely, it will be that she will be banging her head against a wall trying to make national headlines for funds or whatnot, though, again, probably just going to be voted out at the nearest convenience of the GOP. I imagine they will primary and then crush her in the upcoming election, which is is closer than you'd think, especially 2022. There are six seats up for grabs. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, though, going back to impeachment, it definitely shows that this polarizing action to have a poll 56 to 43 is actually quite impressive, as it means a a pretty sizable amount of either independents or Republicans have moved over to the left on the issue and have at least somewhat sided with the Democrats in their attempt for impeachment as this would, of course, essentially cut the head off the snake. It would remove Donald Trump's chances of running again in 2024, or really it would diminish his political 
power at all, as it would it would show that he is really nothing but a dog with all bark, no bite. And it would his endorsements, while they may mean a little, they would certainly meet a lot less. And it would mean that Republicans would remove themselves from the Donald Trump-esque populist politics that they have seemingly been moving towards for the past four years, especially after the January 6th insurrection attempt. They seem to have shifted more and more to the Trumpian side, which is ridiculous and mind boggling, as, of course, popular support seems to be moving left. However, state legislatures and especially national politicians have moved more and more to the Trumpian side as the days have progressed, especially as this impeachment trial drags on with lawyers leaving and with quite interesting politics unfolding. It definitely seems that there is a divide between the everyman and the politician here on the Republican side, and it's certainly going to end up playing kingmaker for Donald Trump if he can survive this impeachment attempt or if he dies here. His politics could be absolutely destroyed and demolished if this impeachment attempt succeeds and goes through, which it it doesn't seem like it will. However, there is always a chance, especially following national headlines. There may be one or two more big stories to break on this issue. So we'll see as it unfolds. However, to wrap up impeachment, it certainly seems like public favor is now going against Donald Trump, though the right is solidifying around Donald Trump, especially on the national politician level. There seems to be a bulwark being built by people like Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio, and Ted Cruz, who are trying to defend Donald Trump, more aptly trying to defend their coffers with the money of Donald Trump supporters moving forward. Another story for today is going to be about the Utah school system, or more specifically, a charter school within the Utah state-recognized school system. Uh, This charter school in Utah purportedly allowed parents to opt out of Black History Month teaching, which is one, just on a personal note, a questionable thing to be able to do. Not the fact that, of course, it's egregious and racist, bigoted and privileged to be able to do so for white students and white parents alike. However, just looking at it from an abject historian standpoint, how do you remove Black History Month or more aptly Black History from history as it's history at the uh, risk of sounding repetitive, it does seem that you cannot bring out any real meaningful historical knowledge without acknowledging the massive and important not only efforts, but existence of black people within the story of American history. Not even American, of course, you could you could go further and say world history. However, looking at simply American history, if you want to talk about slaves, you would have to talk about slave owners who are, of course, white And then you're now talking about black people once more. And I just fail to understand the logical congruity of having history of white and black and segregating it. uh, And of course, some symbolic, hateful and racist way. But how do you separate that? There seems to be at least some level of cognitive dissidence if you're going to be able to do so as you're really just talking about history. So disregarding that stupidity that astounds me as myself, 90% of the state's population being white with an incredibly heavy religious background in Mormonism, uh, it would make sense that the racial makeup of the state would tend to dictate its education. However, here we are with 90% of the students being white or 90% of the people being white. That that 90 to 10% is a very large ratio. In fact, truly mind-boggling as we move uh, into the 21st century. It does seem strange to have such uh, uniform, ethnically uniform communities. But 
even disregarding that, it does call into question the charter school system. As if you are able to get away with things like this in a charter school, of course, a public school has somewhat nationalized standards, but it also does seem to suggest that there is a differing education standard all across the United States and probably leads to a number of differing viewpoints and conflict moving forward as adults, as not only are you learning what is and what happened and and going and I, I'm, I'm specifically referencing social studies, history and uh, the like, though you look at history from the lens of a public school in Alabama and a public school in Los Angeles, you would imagine you would be teaching similar things. However, you reference a charter school in Los Angeles versus a public school in Alabama. There's most certainly going to be large differences as it could be a primarily affluent and liberal charter school, or it could be a primarily conservative and affluent charter school. These specialized curriculums in charter schools are being funded by the parents, of course, who are also keeping their own politics in mind when requesting through large donations for changing of curriculum and whatnot. So even disregarding claims on reading, math, writing, and all that, going through in a a social, through a social lens, looking at these charter schools, you must at least wonder the differing educations that students are getting, the differing histories. You look at online advertisements such as PragerU, who claim Robert E. Lee to be a hero and the South to be misunderstood and the war not being fought over slavery, rather states' rights, though it was the state's right to own a slave. So answer me that, Mr. Dennis. However, you look at people in a public school system, they would learn, of course, that that is not the case, that it was a war over slavery and that it was a war over bigotry and a stagnant way of life in the South. And then you look at the difference there. What happens when they grow up? You look at two people who went through what they thought was standard schooling and they've come out with entirely different ideals. That doesn't mean that different thinking is wrong, nor does that really indict anything about free speech, free freedom of expression. That all stays sacred. I don't disagree with that. However, it's important to at least learn the facts before you make your own opinion on these things. And it is difficult to do so when you're being fed, obviously propagandized and obviously skewed facts, which I would imagine and people are starting to realize you would get in a charter school or private school organization. That education, of course, being different and possibly, quote unquote, better than a public school could end up shaping your personal politics going forward. So then. You look at places like Utah, you look at places that uh, have largely white populations, at least in segments of the state, and then you wonder how their charter schools are teaching their students and what those charter schools are teaching their students. And it definitely starts to at least open up the possibility that we may need to look into these schools, again, not to close them based on what they can or cannot think. However, teaching kids the wrong thing, and I don't mean I like the color blue, and kids should like the color blue too, that's an opinion. That's fine. That's an opinion. But stating that Robert E. Lee was a hero when he was a traitor who not only graduated West Point just to turn to the South and work with Virginia during the Confederate fight against the Union during the Civil War, but you look at things like the cause of the war being slavery or states' rights, that can truly fundamentally skew your perspective of the war in one way or another, which again, can be detrimental to a a decent degree, especially if it it comes down to things like this, just openly racist and bigoted actions by schools to take their students away from learning the diverse and 
incredibly deep history of African-Americans and white folks in the United States, especially as it stands between race relations and whatnot, that is covered through nationally recognized events such as Black History Month. So this story, of course, being a a one small segment of, of society being openly racist and hateful, that is one thing. And that is one thing that maybe you cannot let go. However, you just do need to at least at some point take it on faith that these incidents will happen. However, it does call into question the greater implications of what charter schools, private schools may be teaching their students and also public schools that are not free from scrutiny just because they're standardized to a national level does not remove the culpability of them for propagating either lack of knowledge on diverse history or otherwise. It's definitely something that people at least need to be conscious of. And it's definitely something that that is at least somewhat thought provoking. And last but not least, we're just going to get into a quick overview, really a preamble to the 2022 Senate races that are up. There are multiple Senate seats up, which are, of course, the most important as the Democrats are likely to keep the House regardless of the election results. The 2022 purple states to keep an eye on are, of course, the states that were so close during the 2020 presidential general election with Donald Trump and Joe Biden, though one of the things to keep in mind is there are six, count them six, very close in these purple states, states such as Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and the like. You've got three Democrats and three Republicans up for election. This could not get any tighter. This is about as close and nail-biting as you get. Uh, It's definitely going to shape up for an interesting electoral series. And the largest and most important implication of this all is what happens if the Democrats lose? What happens if the Democrats win? What are the implications of that? And going forward, we will talk a lot more about this, especially as it grows nearer, though we are still 21 months out. That doesn't stop people from declaring their intent for running as it's actually mandated by the, uh, the finance committee. So you've seen a lot of declarations for senatorial races, especially with nationally profiled people now up for reelection, such as Warnock from Georgia, who just recently won his special election runoff in Georgia, of course, giving Democrats the majority in the Senate, which has allowed Joe Biden to pass a number of bills and whatnot. And essentially, it truly could be catastrophic for the Biden administration if they are kneecapped here. If this is where it stops, if it stops in 2022, there's nothing that Joe Biden can do to move his agenda forward. There's absolutely nothing. There's no amount of compromise that's going to push forward any of his agenda, especially on such important issues as healthcare and minimum wage. These things will not get past a Republican contested Senate and most certainly will not get past a a Republican contested Senate post 2022 with three, four or five senators up on the Democrats, which could be horrifying for Joe Biden and his legacy and Democrats come 2024 and could set them up for failure. So there's a number of implications coming down the line, though it is important to keep our eyes on the future as these things will soon dictate the modern politics, especially as these races get underway. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on and it's definitely something that we'll be touching on in the future. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.